Thank you so much, Leah, and good morning, everyone. Hey, it's so good to see all of you and to know those that are joining online. I want to welcome you again to this Monday morning where we are continuing in our overarching chapel theme of the kingdom of God. And as we're journeying through kind of our grounding text to the Sermon on the Mount, I'm really excited about today of really actually taking a step back and looking at some of the really what the kingdom context leading up to the Sermon on the Mount to help us more fully appreciate and to know really the ground and the territory that we're going to be walking and journeying through uh, together this this fall. And today we're really privileged to have uh, pastor and professor David Miles uh, with us who uh, not only serves on the pastoral team at New Hope Church in New Hope here in the Twin Cities, but he also served as an adjunct faculty. Uh, so he may look familiar to some of you who perhaps have had him in class. And he serves on the pastor's council here uh, at, at Northwestern as long, and also has a radio uh, show on Monday afternoons um, here on Faith Radio. So he's involved in a lot of different ways, uh, specifically within our community. And so he, he, he gets you. He knows us and he loves you and has a heart for you as students to train and equip you and to really make a deposit this morning that, as we were talking earlier uh, before chapel, really that his prayer is not just for what the Lord might do in today, but also through today for years and even generations to come. And so um, I want to invite you to join me in welcoming uh, Pastor David Miles. And I also want to invite you to join me um, just to extend a handout as we pray over him as he shares with us this morning. Father in heaven, I want to thank you and praise you. You have in your grace given us today and given us this opportunity to gather in community both here in person and virtually to encounter your presence. And I thank you that your presence knows no bounds. It knows no geography. And even in the space that has been the geographical, physical space that is created, we ask you, Holy Spirit, fill in the gaps and work afresh within us and that you would give us that collective sense of togetherness in your presence. Father, thank you for your son, your servant, and our dear brother, Pastor David Miles. Thank you for bringing him here to Northwestern. Thank you for the many ways that he is serving alongside of, of you as a co-laborer doing your kingdom work here on this campus. But Lord, thank you for bringing him here this morning. And we pray that you would fill him now, God, that, 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 that you would display your glory and your grace and truth in and through him, and that our hearts would be ready and eager to receive. There would be fertile soil for your word to implant and take root, and it would have an impact. It would have produced fruit that would last. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and for your glory. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, Northwestern family. How are we doing today? Go ahead. You can talk back. It is all good. I want to make sure that I grab my clicker out here. So, good morning, everyone. As Justin said, my name is David Miles, uh, one of the pastors of New Hope Church, and a privilege to serve on staff there as well as an adjunct here. Thank you, Justin, and thank you, Christina. Also, thank you, Leah, Tori, Macy, Kenneth, and David. Those are people who are doing a lot of work serving and leading you that's made it possible for me to be here today. So I have a question for you uh, this morning. Who are you, or how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? 
Let me ask it this way. How would you identify your identity? And what things do you find your worth? What are the things that God has been teaching you lately about that as you're starting school? Now, a little about me. This is my family. This is my wife, Tammy, my better three-quarters. See, some men have better halves. Jesus knew I needed a better three-quarter. And those are my four kids, uh, DJ, Jackson, Taylor, and Jaden. My wife's 100% uh, German, Prussian-German from North Dakota. I'm chocolate, so those are my four little German chocolate children. Yes, they are yummy. Those are my kids. Now, I am from North Dakota, born and raised originally in Grand Forks. Yes, I am a chocolate Norwegian. You got that right. I do like Lessa. I do not do lutefisk. Will not do it. Sorry. And no things come out by prayer and fasting, not with lutefisk. I went to North Dakota State University, and I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So my question is, where is God at in your story? A.W. Tozer put it this way. He says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. So this morning, we're going to delve in or take a step back because you're in the Sermon on the Mount series. We're looking at the life of Jesus. But before there's a sermon, there's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Uh, as we were singing earlier, he's our hope. Our hope is not in a thing. Our hope is in a person. And so there's this little event that happens in Jesus' life, and it's in Matthew chapter 3. It's called his baptism. I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Matthew 3. I'm going to be reading this passage from the NIV, but the rest of our time will be in the ESV. Matthew 3, verse 16 says this, And as soon as Jesus from Nazareth was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And there's three important things that happens in this passage that we need to grasp. We need to get a hold of First uh, Colossians chapter 1, 27 talks about the mystery. The mystery is Christ in you, the, what did we sing earlier? What was that? The hope of glory. So the first thing that we see in this passage that we see in Jesus' baptism is number one. When God said, the Father said, you are my son, that settled the question about identity. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, and the triune God is there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus comes out of the water, a voice from heaven says, oh, stop, 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 this one, that one right there. This is my son. Now, it's important to remember something. The title of son is unearned. I have four children. None of them earned the title of being mine and Tammy's sons or daughter. The Bible actually puts it this way. Oh, I need to step back for a moment. Why is this important? Because of Jesus' background, he could have had some identity issues. In John chapter 1, when Jesus sees Philip and says, come and follow me, Philip goes and gets Nathaniel, and he says, listen, hey, Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What's, what's Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Philip's like, I know, I, know, I know you can't imagine that anything could come out of good out of the north side or whatever place that you want to call sketchy. And Philip says, no, 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 you got to come and see this. You know, Jesus could have had some issues. I mean, I, I think Jesus experienced more than one your mama jokes. Your mama and your daddy weren't married when you, when you, yeah, see? So he could have had an identity issue, but God the Father said to him, you are my son. To us, Paul writes and says, you have not received a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you have received a spirit, uh, the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Not only that, Ephesians puts it this way, for he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with the, his pleasure and will. Did you, you check that? His pleasure and will. PDM, you don't understand. Some people call me PDM for Pastor David Miles, Professor David Miles. You don't understand the things that people have said. But, but God's word said in accordance to his pleasure and his will. So the first thing that we see in the baptism is God the Father says, this is my son. It settles the question of identity. Second, he said, whom I love. It settled the question of security. Now that question up there for a moment. Think about this. Jesus in the incarnation was the God-man. And if Jesus was omniscient, if he was God, why did he need to hear this? But he did. And in Luke's version, it actually says that it was for our purposes too. So, look, God demonstrates his own love for us. And yes, God works with imperfect people. That is not a his up there. That's a high. Demonstrates high own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the second thing. Third, we see this. Settles the question of identity, settles the question of security, settles the question of value. With you, I am well pleased. You guys are jumping into the Sermon on the Mount. Look, um, that's chapter 5, verse 1. We're in chapter 3. And what we're about to find out a little bit is, what if Jesus would have measured his value in anything other than the inherent value that he had in the Father? God says this to you today. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So sometimes we kind of get word, you know, PDM, you understand I'm at school. I'm feeling stressed. This is COVID. This might be my first year. This might be my last year. What am I going to do? Because our identity gets wrapped up in what we do and not who we are. So I don't, I don't understand my calling. I don't understand what my purpose is. I like how Oz Guinness put it in the call. Our primary call as followers of Christ is to him, is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, God, not to something, not as in motherhood, politics, teaching, or to somewhere as in the inner city or outer Mongolia. Our second calling, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone everywhere and in everything should think, speak, live, 
act entirely for him. Secondary callings matter, matter, but only because primary callings matter most. PDM, why are you talking about identity today? Because we only get to the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus understood who he is and who he was. Numerous times in the gospel, he would say, I only do what my father tells me to do. John chapter 8, his brothers come to him at the festival and say, Jesus, you need to go up and show yourself at the festival. Jesus says, any time is good for you. It's not my time yet. Henry Now in the Life of Beloved says, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our lives is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they're a part of much larger temptation to self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. So this morning you need to understand that you are a, you are a once in an eternity creation. Now, why did, why did I bring this up? Um, I want you to stop for a minute, and I want you to think on this. Just take a few seconds. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds to answer this question. What blocks you from feeling loved as a son or a daughter? Just take a moment right now. Think about it. What blocks you from feeling loved as a son or a daughter? Because when we don't understand that, we find ourselves trapped into this, which is called the cycle of, of grief. The cycle of grief has us start off with activity through achievement. We seek to achieve to provide ourselves with an identity. What happens is our identity or significance is dependent upon what we achieve, so we press on. And we press on, and that leads us to drivenness. We're driven to achieve more to make ourselves acceptable to others and to ourselves. Which then brings us to a place that when we achieve it, we have this sense of acceptance. I'm accepted because I've achieved these things and, and I've been driven to get my goals done. But it's temporary and it's fragile. So what happens? We find ourselves right back again in the cycle of grief. I hope you get this. Because listen, as a pastor, I'm dealing with 18-year-old, uh, well, let me put it this way. I'm dealing with 65-year-old, 18-year-olds who didn't get this and have lived their life. Instead, when God calls us an identity to a cycle of grace, that we start off in acceptance, that God shows his love in this God, but God being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2.4, made us alive even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning we were jacked up, tore up from the floor up. It is by grace that you've been saved and seated in Christ. And out of that acceptance, we go to sustenance. Resources are constantly being renewed through our dependency upon God. It's why your walk with Jesus is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a, oh, I got to go to chapel and do a thing. Jesus wants to know you walk with you. Then out of that identity, our identity of significance because we're rooted in Christ. And then achievement, what we do with our life is stewardship and we do it out of who we are, not to become something. Now, 
Lane Ford says this, remember that God is an artist. He will not lead you to copy someone else. Seek for him the unique vision that God has given you for your place. At New Hope Church, one of my roles is serving as the uh, pastor of, of leader development. And how did that eke out? Look at that. Isn't it good to know that God works with imperfect people? Because you can see those letters on the other side. I teach a class called Live on Purpose. And I love this because our creative arts director, Darla Ferrant, made this. And she didn't even know that I love what I'm about to have you guys do. I love thumbprints. Take your thumb. Hold your thumb up. Now take a look at your thumb. We can all conclude that that's your thumb. Now, if we were to take your thumbprint, put you in Interpol, and put you anywhere on the place of the planet, there's a good chance we could find you. And even if you had a twin, you would have different thumbprints. Do you know what that means? It means that there's only one of you. You are literally a once in an eternity creation. Like really, when God made you, he broke the mold. So you can go home at break, walk in the house, say, mom and dad, step back, kiss yourself and say, when God made me, he broke the mold. <laughs> Amen. Not only that, God sent his only son to shed his blood for you so you have infinite and eternal value in God's sight. There is only one of you. So we'll go past the second question, and I'm going to ask you, what helps you feel or think, for us thinking type, what makes you help feel or think loved as a son or daughter? Take 20 seconds. Think about that for a moment. Now, there's a reason why I'm going here like this. Turn over to Ma Matthew chapter 4. Now, remember in Matthew 3, 17, the verse before, it says, he, God the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Issue of identity, security, and value. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up on his hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him again, it is written, it is it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, when we go to this passage, Jesus has already had the Father speak to him about his identity. It says, immediately the Spirit takes him out into the wilderness. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the devil says this. He comes to him and he says, if you're the Son of God. Notice this. The first place the devil attacks him is what? In his identity. It's the first place that he attacks him. 
Now, this is a third conditional clause. So the devil's saying it to him, basically saying, you know what? Look, we both kind of know that. But he says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Why is that important? Well, listen, he had been out there for 40 days, 40 nights. There was no Aldi. There was no Cub. There was no $5 foot long. It wasn't. All right? He was hungry. And the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves. The first place of temptation is in personal comfort comes and addresses him in the area of personal comfort. The other thing that he was trying to get him to do was to declare his kingship early, prematurely. Because Moses had made, uh, made manna. God provided manna. And we see later on that when Jesus uh, multiplies the loaves and fishes, in John chapter 6 it says, when they see that he did this, they wanted to make him king by force. A little other little clause in, that, in the feeding of the 5,000. It notes that the boy brought them barley loaves. You see, barley was the grain of the poor. It wasn't wheat. It was barley. And so the devil comes, first of all, and says, look, let, Jesus, come, dude, you're hungry. Let, let, let's, let's, let's attend to your personal comfort. Not only that, as it says, personal comfort. The next thing we see is that G the devil comes again because Jesus, again, this is a test. We're going back to the garden. See, the devil came in the garden to Adam and Eve and basically said to them, hey, guys, I know God said uh, he's given you all of this, but I think the big guy is still holding out on you on the good stuff over here. So maybe if you just, you know, if you kind of, if you do an alternative plan, there, there'll be satisfaction. So personal comfort. Second, the devil comes and says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Because remember, he took him to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This pinnacle of the temple was 450 feet above the Kidron Valley. And why does he tell him to throw himself off the temple? Because there was a prophecy in Malachi chapter 3.1 that that's how the Son of Man would show up. So he says, if you're the Son of Man, throw yourself down. Do your best Iron Man. Because if you do your best Iron Man and you come floating down, people are going to be like, ah, Jesus, we love you. And here we see ourselves, Jesus being exposed to the temptation of personal popularity. Jesus, you show up, you do it like this, man, people are going to, they're going to be like, Jesus, you're it. You are it. You are the person. And see, not only, notice it, Satan took him to Jerusalem, the seat of all religious and political power in Palestine, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, which was the religious center of the Jewish nation. He's like, listen, if you're the son of God, certainly God would want to protect you from harm. Throw yourself down. The angels will protect you. He even quotes scripture. But there's parts that he didn't quote scripture right. The devil knows scripture too. Jesus says, first Jesus says in the first time, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This time Jesus says, listen, 
Again, it is written, perfect tense, past action with ongoing result. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil swings on personal comfort. Or the devil throws on personal popularity, but he ain't done yet. What's it then say? Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse 9, and he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, I'm not exactly, you know, how all that fits because Colossians says that Jesus, all things come him from him, all things were created. And just like he gave up some of his divinity when he became the God-man and put on human flesh to experience the things that we, he, the devil said this. So apparently God gave him the ability to be able to say this. But look, I want you to notice something. He says, all, all the kingdoms of the world, all these things I will give you. What is, what is he tempting Jesus with? He's tempting him with a clicker. I lost my clicker. Thank you. With the temptation of personal possessions, personal power, and pride. Personal possession, personal power, and pride. He's like, check this out. If you would just fall down and worship me, all these things I will give you. Which leads us to an important question that we need to ask. What are your all these? Because he's going to come to each one of us and be like, all these I'll give you. Man, you know, if I can... If I can but make that corner office or something, he'll be like, oh, you can. All these I'll give you. You just might need to shade the truth. I really, really want to be in a relationship, really want to be a mom. Oh, you know, all these little kids I give you, you just might need to believe the lie that he really cares about you and wants you to compromise your sex. Well, Purity. PDM, you're saying that you're at Northwestern. Don't you know that? Exactly. I do know I'm at Northwestern. If anything you know about me, I'll tell you. I love you too much to play games with you. Remember, I sit on the other side of a table, and I get to counsel and walk through lots of different stories. So I'm okay with you not liking me. Matter of fact, I told one of my very best friends when he asked me about a woman that he was dating, he said, what would you think about her? I said, do you want to know? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, no, seriously, do you want to know? I said, listen, I'm a sinful, broken person, so I feel it's a struggle for me to say this, but if you're wanting me to speak honestly of what I observed and my concern, now it's ultimately up to between you and God, but I said, but if you're asking me, I said, look, if you trust the Lord, follow him, and honor God, and if you never talk to me this side of heaven, I can live with that. Do you have people in your life who love you and love God's glory in and through your life enough to say that? If you don't, pray God brings them to you. So I'm okay with saying that we're talking about identity today because sometimes when we don't understand our identity, then we want to compromise in our relationships. Men, I'm calling you out. Honor your sisters. 
in Christ as God's daughter. My wife Tammy, when I met her, I didn't just look at her as my girlfriend or my, I said, I would pray regularly. I'm like, God, how do you want me to honor your daughter? Same thing, ladies, honor your brothers. And if you got friends in your life who aren't doing that, feel free to check them. And say, I love you enough that I want God to be glorified. Listen, when I counsel people, when people come to me for premarital counsel, I tell them, listen, PDM's got an agenda. It's twofold. I'm upfront about my agenda. My agenda is God's glory, and your good that leads to the furtherance of God's glory. Because if it doesn't lead to the furtherance of, your, of God's glory, then it's ultimately not for your good. No matter what your friends, with the media, with your mama, if it does not lead to the furtherance of God's glory, it's ultimately not for your good. And Jesus is able to withstand temptation because he was concerned about God's glory. What did the devil say to him? He says, listen, I, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All these I will give you, what? The kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you, I will give those to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Both Jesus and the devil used the word worship, meaning we're going to worship something. What are you planning to worship? Nathan, uh, Justin, is that timer wrong? Okay, I just want to make sure, because I see it counting down, and I want to make sure that I'm honoring time. All right. Verse 11, and Matthew says this, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Something interesting in the parallel passage of this in, in, um, in Luke chapter 4, it says that the devil left him for an opportune time. Matthew says he left him, angels came and attended. Look, notice, when you follow God, as Jesus did, God brought, brought resources and even supernatural resources outside of himself to come and minister to him. Because sometimes we're afraid, what are the resources going to come from? God will hook you up. He will take care of you. But I want you to notice in Luke's version, it says that the devil left him for an opportune time because the spiritual battle is real. So it brings us back to this. Why are we talking about identity? Why are we talking about temptation? Because the devil wants to get you to a place of achievement. And even our flesh wants to get into achievement. That leads to saying this is our sense of identity. But it causes us to be driven. It's like Jay Rockefeller when someone asked him how much money is enough. He said one more dollar. Just one more dollar. And that's the treadmill of grief and pain that you get sucked on, and then you get to acceptance, and acceptance is so fleeting. The goalpost always changes. And God says, no, 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 next slide. I want you to be in the cycle of grace that you're already accepted in the beloved. And I provide you with the resources. Hebrews 13 says, may the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ equip you with every good thing to do his will. Not only does he call you to it, but he provides it for you. 
that then goes to a sense of identity from gratitude. And then takes us to a place of loving achievement and service. See, I don't know my story. See, a lot of y'all are like, well, of course you can say that Pastor Dave, you're one of those pastor types. No, no. I'm here because of community. I'm here, yes, I'm here because I had a locker mate walk up to me when I was a sophomore in high school. Said, David, hey, what are you doing next to us? I don't know. He says, you want to come to this thing called Student Venture? I'm like, I, I, I thought to myself, I have nothing to lose. Never realized how much I had to gain. And, and Lance, when he asked me, he didn't know I had failed my suicide attempt. Yeah, don't let the jacket and the name and the, te- and the adjunct and the degree, don't let that fool you. No, 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 no. And my life could have still been in that thing of the cycle. I grew up in North Dakota. Yes, there weren't many chocolate Norwegians. When my brother left to go to high school, I was in a school of 1,000 kids. I was the only African-American. So they had diversity, me. And yeah, I heard the names and had the teachers. And so you could find yourself driven to become something. But in Christ, we're already accepted in the beloved. He then gives us a sustenance and a relationship with him that is, listen, as long as I live, there's two things. If I think about these two things for any length of time, it brings me to tears. Number one, that God saved me. This gospel is ridiculous. And two, that he called me to be a minister of his gospel. That's why he's calling us to understand who we are and whose we are. Listen, Oswald Chambers said this. Beware, next slide please. Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. Just as a small caveat in Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the the sheep and the goat, and Jesus says, he he, he says, uh, you know, when 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 you prophesied and when you, when you cast, oh no, sorry, you're going to get to this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord. And he said, people are going to say, I, didn't I prophesy? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I? Listen, prophesy, cast out demons? Pro- That's what like the religious superstars were doing. And Jesus was saying, get away from me, I never knew you. So that even in their service, they didn't know him. So beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. My last slide and I want to pray is this. Have you identified with Jesus in his baptism? I'm under no mistakes that everyone who's come to Northwestern is here because they're followers of Jesus Christ. I've experienced students coming to the Lord. So listen, I know some of you might have had it where the parents are like, listen, we'll be happy to pay for you to go to that school, but if you go to another, you're on your own. But my question is, remember, it was out of Jesus' baptism. Have you identified and know Christ? Because there's another baptism scripture speaks about, Romans 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him, therefore, in baptism by death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. God spoke Jesus' identity at his baptism. We've died in Christ and been raised. And if that's true of you, and Jesus invites you to that, You're his child, and in you is Christ's 
the hope of glory. Let me pray. My time is up. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these dear, dear brothers and sisters who you love deeply. Jesus, continue to form more of yourself in and through us for the glory of your great name. And may we walk in the joy that in Christ, our identity, our security, and our value are settled, not based on what we do, but based on what Christ has done for us in the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.